Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. All right, we're in Boston, just wrapping up day two of our two-day Northeast Cannabis Business Conference. Expo floor closes in a few minutes, and then we all go home to our various places. Uh, A lot of people here are from Massachusetts, given that we're hosting it here in Boston. And sitting with me is Kara Crab Burnham, who is also a local Massachusetts. Is, is, is that a thing? I totally botched that. How, how do you refer to someone who's from Massachusetts? From Massachusetts. Well, you, you just say you're from answer? Massachusetts. Masshole. Masshole. Okay. Yeah, that's unfortunately, right. it's not a great name I've for us. I've heard that. It's the name we got. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to keep things light sometimes, right? So uh, you have been in the cannabis industry uh, and movement for a while. Um, What are you doing currently here in the state? So um, I'm the director of operations for a license holder in Attleboro. And um, though that is moving along, I have a little bit more work to do um, with uh, Elevate Northeast, which is a female-founded nonprofit. Um, We're actually having an event tonight in... District at District Hall in the Seaport um, called What the Hemp. What the Hemp. That's a really cute name. I like that. <laughs> Excellent. So you're empowering women in the industry to start businesses, be leaders in the industry, or just find their place in this in this industry? Well, absolutely, but not just for women. We really focus on inclusive, inclusiveness, diversity, um, sorry, not inclusiveness, inclusion, diversity, uh, and, and you know, supporting veterans, supporting um, people who have been disproportionately harmed, we try to do uh, free education as often as we can, participating in job fairs, um, hosting low-cost events um, in neighborhoods, that will see the greatest impact from the local residents. That's great work. Thank you for doing that. Um, So we've been reflecting a lot with people because NCIA's 10-year anniversary is this year in 2020, like 10 years of a dedicated cannabis trade association. Uh, We have nearly 2,000 members. Our staff is like 25 people, um, and our influence grows all the time in the halls of Congress. Uh, reflecting back 10 years ago, where were you? Were you, what were you doing? Did you ever think I'm going to be at a cannabis conference here in Boston 10 years from now? Yes. Yeah. In, um, 2009, uh, was my first Boston freedom rally. And I had, uh, I was a chapter, uh, I I was a chapter founder of SSDP at Emerson. Yes. So yes, I did. 10 years ago. Any SSDPers in the house? Students for sensible drug policy. Okay. All right. (laughs) If there's one around, they'll go DP. DP, right? SSDP. I love it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so 10 years ago, I was really hoping we could, uh, figure out how to fix this problem. Um, 
I didn't know necessarily it would become my career and my vocation and my passion, but I'm happy it did, and I, you know, I saw the potential. I'm glad to be involved. For sure. You, you definitely, com- coming from a movement and activist side of things, and now um, somebody once referred to me as um, an old-school activist who went pro once the going got weird. <laughs> It's definitely been weird and wild um, watching all this go down. Um, in the early 2000s, I thought medical would be the top. That's it. I, I could have never imagined adult use laws on the books. So I'm, I'm impressed and really happy um, that we're getting these regulated markets launched in all these different states. And Massachusetts is slow going to roll it out. Yeah. <laughs> A little painful, but... Um, <laughs> Excruciating. Yeah. And, you know, states like California that were, some consider, you know, the birthplace of medical cannabis is also seeing some struggles as they try to get licenses rolling out and the regulations are just changing every day. So it's not easy. You have to be resilient. You have to be ready to turn on a dime. Well, the crossover rate is insanely low. I mean, the number of people involved in activism and involved in spreading the message and educating people for, um, you know, the sake of changing laws versus those same people finding jobs and careers in the space, I mean, it's very low. It's a very low percentage. So I think that anybody who can make that crossover, like, it's a lot of dedication, but it's also sort of um, sort of a mentality. Like, how if you're willing to be an activist and work for free for years and years, imagine how excited you'll be and how valuable you'd be to a company when somebody offers to pay you. <laughs> oh, man, getting a paycheck for what used to be, you know, just hours. I used to do this for free. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so it's it's been a struggle um, to see all this, but this is what we've been working for. Yep. So we're making progress. So as we as we turn to look to the future into our little crystal ball, um, I know it's very difficult to predict even a month from now what's going to happen. But with the perspective you have from the past, if you could look into the future, into 2030, 10 years from now, what are you seeing our industry look like? Well, I think that social consumption is going to be normal. It's not going to be totally outlandish. It probably won't be as accessible as I would dream it to be. Mm-hmm. But I believe that we'll have social consumption. It won't be something that freaks people out anymore. Um, I think we'll figure out um, a way to manage unsafe drivers and impaired drivers. I think we need to figure out that over the next 10 years. Um, and I think we need to make, really think strong about how we map out our, our future with federal laws. So if we open up the, if we deregulate from a federal stance, a market like Massachusetts, all the retailers will thrive because they'll be able to get cheap pounds, but all of our cultivators that have put in millions and millions of dollars into indoor cultivation facilities will tank. So it's like, unless the brand has already been, you know, really solidified, and frankly, there's not a ton of brands in Massachusetts that people rave about at this point, you know, between RMDs to RMDs. There's certain cultivators, legal licensed cultivators that are better than others. And those are fairly well known. And, you know, the ones who are not good cultivators are very well known. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that, um, 
I think that's a that's my one of my greatest concerns for the Massachusetts market is that we're going to see a federal lift and we're going to get flooded with product that's going to significantly harm our indoor cultivators. Um, but it would be great for our retailers. So you know, it's who, how do we protect it? Because right now the retailers and people across the country probably won't believe me, but there's like people fight over four thousand dollar pounds. Mm to keep their stores open, their retail stores, because wow. there's not enough supply for demand in Massachusetts. So that kind of hints at the idea that um, in, in our current framework, uh, everything is state by state. If a state legalizes, you have to start from scratch in that state and build new and new cultivation facilities. So even, even an operator from another state that's expanding, they still have to start over. They can't just start mailing their product over. Interstate commerce would change that game. And cannabis that's grown in more efficient areas yeah. like California. It's easy to grow trees out there. You don't it grow is. trees in Massachusetts. Right. It's very expensive. I mean, we're talking $10 million to pop up a facility. So that's a lot to think about. Um, you know, for somebody that has a long-term view, which hopefully everybody that enters this industry does. Um, if you're in it for the long haul, you're, fall, you're playing by the book that's available today. But it's going to be a different book in a year or two or a month. Or five years. Tomorrow. Sure. The whole <laughs> book's going to get thrown out and it's going to be a new book. And I think it speaks to the need to be resilient and agile and ready to turn on a dime. So, um, yeah, Massachusetts will, will see some changes, I, I suppose, to the structure um, if interstate commerce happens. So, well, yeah. We haven't even, so we had the, we had DPH, Department of Public Health, licensing for medical marijuana up until the Cannabis Control Commission took over a year ago, a year, 14 months ago now. So six months before the DPH knew that they weren't going to have to license any more vertically integrated RMDs, they stopped. And the CCC has not taken any initiative to license further any vertically integrated RMDs. So we have basically, for, from a licensing perspective, put a full stop on expanding the medical-only program. Now, that's not to say a lot of medical operators have not received recreational licenses. They have. You, there are many co-located, but there have been no new vertically integrated RMDs licensed since six months before the DPH knew that they were going to shut down operations. What's the impact that's having? I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I just think that there's, you know, well, okay, put it this way. So we have a lot of activists in the state that are up in arms about people who were waiting on medical marijuana licenses. And when they realized that the CCC was going to move more quickly for recreational licenses, the moment they got working and, you know, functioning and, and reviewing and da, 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 then they switched their license over or they reapplied under the CCC's recreational guidelines. So they have this like pending medical RMD license or application that just got put in a box somewhere and shoved to the side and they moved forward with their rec licenses. Now, as an operator, if I have to pay the, all of the chaos that's been going on here with the, with the applicants paying on leases for years before we get need to know if they're going to be even allowed to build on the spot, um, right. fighting for the HCAs, all that kind of stuff. Could you imagine like also having to do that for, for two different sets of licenses? No. So it's sitting there and it's not, you know, the medical patients are paying... Retail prices. I mean, the price is no different. Because they can't get to a medical Be provider. Because we don't have more people co 
cultivating. And sure. there's there's a supply and demand problem. So the price is across the board from medical to recreational consumer is the same. So if we could license more medical-only RMDs, we'd have more product going to medical patients. Um, and that the way metric works in our state is you can transfer product in between licenses as long as it's the same type of product, it's a medical product or is a rec product. Internally, you can switch if you have two, two licenses between a rec product and a medical product. But So like, if I open an RMD that's a medical-only, vertically integrated system, I can't sell that marijuana to a retail an license. Outside, right. That, Unless- that could go to another medical license, but not a retail license. So they would be able to, at least if we license more RMDs, we'd at least be able to beef up the supply to patients and maybe get the patient price down. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, The adult use side of things is super important because adults should not be going to jail for a plant and should be able to get safe product if you're going to consume it anyway uh, and not have to go to the illicit market. But the the patient side of things is where all this started. And I think it's important to remember that there are people that um, have illnesses and truly, truly need um, discounts. They don't work they full time. Yeah. They can't afford to pay the fifty dollar eighth or sure. the one hundred and fifty dollars syringe for RSO. Right, like, right. So yeah, those taxes on the adult use side are for real. They are for real taxes that get passed to the consumer. Um, so, but it, the base price of an eighth or the base price of that product is the same. And a lot of that probably has to do with 280E, which burdens the operator. It's the federal tax code that because we're operating in a Schedule One or Schedule Two substance, uh, these businesses can't take normal tax business deductions. So, man, can't... Funny story about that. So I recently bought a house. Yes, tap my shoulder. Thank you. I did that. Congratulations. <laughs> Getting a mortgage with my income being federally illegal was surprised me. I bet me. that was fun. I was like, oh, wait, you won't give me a mortgage because you don't recognize my income. And the federal government doesn't recognize my income. But they recognize it when it comes to me paying my taxes. Now, that, in my opinion, <laughs> is taxation without representation. And I feel like sure we had a party is. about that here in Boston once upon a time. My little party. A little party. A little tea party. <laughs> You know, where we were like, hey, don't tax us if you, we don't get a say in what's going on. And I feel like you, you're going to tax my cannabis income as a W-2 employee. How dare you refuse my income when it comes to being qualified for a mortgage and sure. lending? Yes, it's, it's all speaking to the, the, the disconnect between federal and state. And, and again, that, that points to our banking issues as well. So Safe Banking Act, thankfully, made it out of the House of Representatives. Very exciting. Um, and thank you to NCIA for that. Yep, that's our bill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've been working on it forever. Um, so to see it go through the House of Representatives with, with pretty good margin of votes, actually, a lot of support. Um, now it's in the Senate. Um, we're just waiting patiently to see what's going on there. Of course, we're working our channels through our government relations team in D.C., um, but we do have a challenge with the Senate. It, it is Republican-controlled. We've got more hearts and minds to change in that body of government, um, but we're all optimistic, and, and it is an intense But Republicans year. like money. They do like money. They do. I don't fault a Republican for liking money, so maybe like that's the also. way to get to them. Sure. Um, we also have an opportunity with the, the farm bill, if we can try to bridge that gap of the education between the hemp plant and the THC marijuana plant. Like, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, it, there's in it, it, the individual states getting on board. It's nerve-wracking what the federal government may do moving forward. Um, like, what Very. if what if the Senate takes it and they tear it apart and they put it back together in some crazy way? Because they... 
could do that. They're looking at, yeah, yeah. And, We're and trying to educate the chairman of the committee on the Senate side about about it because there's there's talk of putting limits on the THC amounts, which you know, kind of, you know, like why did why why did we bother? You can't have too much THC. <laughs> Not too much THC. Oh no, dear. no. I know. So there's there's just still so much education. Um, there's negotiation. So um, we're we're working it. No, we're all very, very busy. So let's just keep up the good work <laughs> yes, is the moral of the us. story. Um, yes, I'm, I'm grateful to all the NCIA members. I'm grateful to all the activists and, and the people that are in the industry that are also from the activist background, making sure that our values um, get moved into this industry, that we never forget where we came from, that we never forget all the work it took to get here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, speaking of history, I was—I have to put a float together for the Boston Pride Parade this year, and a I'm float. trying to put, trying to get ideas for how to cross over between the gay rights movement and the cannabis movement. Do you have anything for me? What do you th- like the history of everything? What do you think? I mean, what comes to mind is how San Francisco and the Bay Area um, had become, and I, I suppose other parts of California as well. Um, Cannabis was really born there to help the AIDS patients. I was thinking about Brownie Mary and Dennis Perone. Yes. That's what I was yes. thinking. Those, like are, the, those okay. are the two activists. So, so to bring the West Coast over like here it. to the East Coast, and, and um, I bet there's a lot of people that don't know that background story. Um, so bringing some of that education from the, you know, the 80s, um, and forward of that community and how cannabis became um, a prominent part of that culture and bringing that to the East Coast and to the future and the present, I think might be an interesting way to go. That's just what comes up for me. So it's, it's a, yeah, I've been asking, sorry, I've been asking around and get ideas from people. But yeah. All right. Cool. cool. Thank you. Well, definitely send us <laughs> pictures of the float and let oh, us know how it goes. Oh, there will be pictures. That's great. Maybe <laughs> write a blog feet post. Long. It's a twenty-four foot long float. That's, that's no joke. I got to get like a construction guy to like build, let me or girl to like because I just don't use power tools to build sure. a whole like a thing. Like I got a theme. I got to build a whole thing. It's gonna wow. be wild. I have an idea for somebody <laughs> who likes to build things that I could maybe introduce you to. Where's that Glenn Peterson from Maine? Somewhere around here. I know Glenn Peterson. I, he's great, isn't he's, he? He, he and is his fantastic. Wife Sage are here. I got yep. to interview Sage earlier. They are wonderful. I love the cannabis community. And they have a bunch of my mom's artwork in their house because my mom's a Mainer and she used to be one of their patients. What a small world our cannabis (laughs) culture and community is. There's a few people on our board of directors that I was a little baby activist with 17 years ago. So it's just wild to uh, watch time pass and, and see how people know each other and what the what the background is. Everybody, how everybody's connected, who's worked together. Oh, man, we're going to have a really big party, like all 3,000 of us when federal legalization happens. <laughs> It'll be off the charts. I have oh, to do yeah. it in Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Or New Orleans. I'm, Good I've, party cities. I'm down with that. I'm okay <laughs> with that. You guys let me know where the party is, and I'll be there. The first state to okay like, consumption permits, party permits. Done. <laughs> Done. Uh, what a great way to wrap up uh, two days of this conference here in Boston. Thank you for Thank sitting you for down with me. me. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. 
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.